You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk by Pastor Chris Hansler titled, Right Here, Right Now, from the series, My Friend's Favorite Talks. For more info, visit creekside.org. I want you to imagine that there is a, a, a line going this way that represents time, all of time, okay? And represent a line, uh, uh, imagine a line going this way that represents all of creation, Okay, so you got time this direction and you got creation this direction. And the intersection of that, of, of this time and all of space or all of creation, we find ourselves right here in 2015 in Northern California. That's where you are. Now we are in, in the Northwest, the beautiful Northwest. By the way, uh, we're suffering a drought right now in the Northwest. So thank you for sharing for, uh, for Seattle. Um, drought in Seattle means we've been four days without rain. No, that's not true. We, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, uh, we are in drought. So, but anyway, we live in Seattle. You live in Northern California, and, and here we are in 2015, and, and um, God has put us here at this time. Now, you could have been born in the, at the time of the Reformation, maybe in Europe in the you know, 1500s, and uh, you could have been born there, and then you could have been born in the year 30 A.D. in the time of Jesus and the disciples, and you could have been born right there in the Middle East, and that could have been the place that God had destined you for. You could have been born in North Africa at the time of Moses, and and uh, you could you know in that particular place. But God has put you here at this time. That you are uh, the amazing reality is that you are right here. You are right now on purpose. And God believes in you. I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into Acts 17, and then we'll go forward from there. God, thanks so much for an opportunity to be um, with this great church family. Lord, uh, thank you for the time in your presence here with them and in worship together. And Lord, I just pray that as I speak, that it would be truly the words empowered and driven by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that our hearts, our minds, our wills would be open and yielded to you, that you would set me aside, God, today, that our eyes would be fixed and focused on Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 17, uh, we're going to be starting at verse 16. Let me give you just a little bit of context, a little bit of history at this time. Um, Athens, the city that is talked about in this particular passage, was a free city. They, though they were under uh, Roman rule, it was considered a free city. They had the independent right to operate there. Uh, but, and, and it was a center of art, it was a center of philosophy, a center of architecture, but its glory years were really about 150 years prior to that. Uh, and it had a war with Rome and and uh, though it was not a large city, about 10,000 people, it was still considered to be an influential city, a place where thinkers went to discuss various ideas and philosophies. There are two groups mentioned in this passage that we'll read. The Epicureans were materialists. They were essentially atheists. And they believed that uh, everything happened by chance. And then there were the Stoics. The Stoics uh, were pantheists. Everything or most everything could be God. And our, they believe that our lives are dictated by an unknowable fate. They actually, some of, many of them believe that every once in a while the earth was destroyed and you started all over again. So they didn't have a lot of joy in their life. There was, there was a lot of fear. That's where we get the term, you have a very stoic look on your face. 
As such, in these philosophies, there was a desperation to understand the meaning of life, to understand purpose, in some cases to appease the gods in order to have some sort of peace in their life. And they had become cynical, they had become skeptical, Uh, they had many questions, they were uncertain, they were fascinated with new ideas. And not particularly unlike what's happening in our culture today. Uh, Acts 17, verse 16, uh, starting there, I'm going to read some of this passage, says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now let me just pause here a second. This was their place where they would just throw out different ideas, thoughts, debate, listen, dialogue about these different philosophies and argue about which one is right and which one is wrong, which one's crazy. We have a, we have a venue for that now. We have a forum for that now. It's called Facebook, all right? says, that's our place where we throw out ideas and we argue about who's right and who's wrong and, and uh, we get angry because somebody said something that they shouldn't have said or we didn't think they should have said. Well, this was their Facebook, all right? The Areopagus. This was a Mars Hill. This was a place where they would discuss all these and, and listen and talk about all the latest ideas. Uh, verse 22, Paul then stood up in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Very religious. They believed in a lot of things. They had a lot of ritual. Um, and, and, and we live in a culture that I would say is very religious. They may or may not know Christ. They may not live according to God's word. But there's a lot of belief out there. He goes on and he says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everyone, everything else. Now take hold of this next verse. For from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Paul wandered around their marketplace, talked to them day to day. He was in their synagogue. He was in this place where they discussed ideas. He used their language. He used their own poets to reflect something about God. Paul was engaging this 
city that he, he was in and talking about their ideas. And, and in one statement in verse 24 and 25, Paul challenges their idea that God needs appeasing or that God needs really anything. He challenges, <coughs> excuse me, the false concept that God is unknowable. And he gives the great news that they don't have to live under just this impersonal chance that they're not just matter, they're not just electrical impulse, they're not just chemical processes, they're not just fetal tissue, they're not just DNA, that they are not subject simply to an unstoppable fate, but that there is a personal God, there is a gracious God, that they are His offspring, He's the creator, the Lord, the sustainer of life, that we are His offspring, that He can be known. And what Good news, that is, what not only was for them, but what good news this is for us. While they were in a pre-Christian era, we find ourselves in a post-Christian era. And what I mean by that is now in this generation is being raised up that where the majority of them are being raised up not knowing who Jesus is. And in this growing post-Christian era where science tells us that we have simply evolved by chance, that we live in an impersonal universe and that this is all there is, it's good news to realize there is a God who can be known. There is a God who can be personal, who loves us. It's good news for a postmodern world that this gracious personal God breaks the bonds of pantheistic karma that, that you know the, this idea that oh just what goes around comes around no what happened is what what goes around Jesus took the come around for us he took it on the cross and the resurrection that there's grace and they can have security in Christ and in their identity and who he is that we're not just subject to fate or chance or coincidence or mistake but that God has purpose for our life that we are here right here Right now, 2015, in this part of the world, for a reason. Listen to the power of this verse again. Verse 26, for from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Just consider that for a second. And Pastor Terry asked us to, to preach our... Our favorite talk, but I've got to be honest with you, this is not necessarily my favorite talk, but it's the one that I felt like God put on my heart for this season, for this time, for today, uh, at this time in our culture, in our society. And I want to just, I just want to remind us of this truth, this simple truth. Number one, God determined where and when you should live. That seems pretty obvious, but when you consider the implications of that, it's powerful. God determined when, He determined the, the appointed times and where, the exact places or the boundaries of our habitation. He determined when and where we should live. Why? Verse 27 answers that question. It says, God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. God puts you here in this place, this time, so that we would find Him. He puts you, number two, He puts you right here, right now, so that you would find Him. God wants to be known by us. And He believed that this time and this place was your opportunity to reach out for Him because He's not far away. And if you don't know Him today, if you've never met Him, He is a personal God who loves you, who gave everything in order to be in relationship with you, who has purpose for your life, that you're not here today by accident. 
And if God put you right here, right now, why did God put others right here, right now? It's so they could find Him. There's a great verse in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance to, for us to do. We are His handiwork. We are His poema. We are His workmanship. That, that God created us. And, and it says that there are works He has for us to do, that He created in advance, that He prepared in advance for us to do, that God knew the things He had for us, the purposes He intends for us. Before there was ever a day we ever lived. And it's true for those who you are around as well. That God believes in us, number three, so much that He put you here, He put you now, at this time, and in this place to help others find Him. To help them see that He is a personal God, that He is a gracious God, that He is not far away, that the reason perhaps that God put you in the neighborhood that you're in and put those neighbors around you is so that not only you would find him, but maybe so those neighbors could find him. Maybe the reason that you're in the workplace you're in and, and those people are there is perhaps so you could help represent Christ so that they might find him. Maybe the reason that they're in the school that you're in is so that they, they, God put them here and now for his purposes that they might find him. And God's given us an opportunity and He believes in us, which is amazing that He believes in us enough that we can represent Him to a world who desperately needs to know Him. Have you ever felt like you were in a place you didn't want to be? (laughs) Have you ever been in a life situation that didn't feel particularly God-ordained? Some of you may be in one of those spots right now. You find yourself in circumstances or a situation that you think this is not what I thought was going to be happening and this is not where I thought I would be right now. And it's tough. And I remember a time when I had first, we were just moved up to plant the church. We moved up to really nothing. There was nothing there yet. We brought a a little team with us and we're just getting ready to start it and I I had to work so I started a landscape company and then I worked for a friend of mine who owned a building services uh, company and they did commercial, they, they worked on, did services for commercial buildings and one of those services was sweeping the parking lot. So one of the jobs I had when I first went up to plant that church in 93 was I'd wake up two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I'd go pick up the sweeper and it's not a very glamorous sweeper, it wasn't an enclosed sweeper, I'm in Washington remember. And uh, it's basically a lawn tractor without the blade. And behind it is attached some sweeper uh, attachments. And so I would drive around these parking lots. The sweepers would pick up the stuff on the parking lot and I would dump it in the truck. That's what I did. I'd get up at early in the morning and I'd do it in the middle of the night because it had to be a time when there weren't cars there. So I was, I was sweeping parking lots and sometimes it would be you know, late fall, early winter, wind blowing, rain falling, cold, and I'm in the middle of the night, and I'm driving this sweeper, gloves on, all bundled up, and I'd drive, I remember this one bank I would do, and I'd drive, and just had all these leafy trees, all the trees would fall all over the parking lot, and I'd drive around in the wind and rain, and I'd pick up the leaves, and at the end of it, I'd dump them, and I'd look back at the parking lot, and it looked like I'd done nothing, and I I used to think, this is what hell is going to be like, you're just working... You're just working continually and nothing ever gets accomplished. You're just in misery all the time. And so 
uh, this is what I'm doing as I've gone up to fulfill God's mission in my life. I'm sweeping parking lots and it feels like this exercise in futility. I remember one particular day, it was at a Safeway. I was sweeping their parking lot early in the morning, six or seven o'clock in the morning. I was already having, I was sort of cranky about what I was doing and didn't have a very good attitude. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm driving around sweeping and and all of a sudden, out from nowhere comes this motor oil, empty motor oil container. It just comes flying toward me. I'm like, where is that coming from? And then another one comes, and another one, and another one. They're coming really close to me. I'm sort of dodging them as I'm driving this thing. And, and then an antifreeze, empty antifreeze container. I'm thinking, some automotive mechanic is throwing things at me. And I stop the, I stop the uh, sweeper, and I turn it off. And then I can hear this guy. He lived, there's an eight-foot-high fence between Safeway and a mobile home park that's right next door. And he was mad at me because I, was, I woke him up. And he was just throwing anything he could find at me to get me to shut up. And I remember sitting there thinking, really, God? Really, is this what you have for me? I came up here to, you know, fulfill your mission and just to follow you. And here I am in this parking lot. I got people cussing at me and throwing automotive products at me. And this is what you have for me? I remember he said, listen, until you can do the things nobody appreciates with a right heart, you'll never know what it means to be a minister. Until you can learn how to do the things nobody appreciates with a right heart, you'll never know what it means to be a minister. You see, God had me right there in that place, in that time, a place I didn't want to be, a time I didn't want to be there. They had me right there at that time, in that place, because he had some things he wanted to weave into my life of his character to prepare me for the work that he had for me to do. Some of you may be questioning the purpose of your current experience. You may be wondering, God, why do you have me here? I thought there would be something better than this. There's a great promise in Jeremiah 29, 11 that you may know. It may be familiar to you. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And it is a beautiful promise. It is one you should know and memorize and quote and learn and, and, and internalize. But what's important about this promise is not just the promise itself. Do you know the context of this verse? The context in Jeremiah 29 is that God's people were in exile to Babylon. They were in a place they didn't want to be. Babylon and, and, and Israel were not particularly friends. They didn't get along. They considered each other enemies. And they now Israel, because of some choices they had made, they had been exiled to Babylon. It says, um, if, if you read it in Jeremiah 29, it says uh, that they, in verse uh, for it says, to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God had them there. And then in verse 5, it says this, build houses and settle down. He's, God's charging his people. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. What God is saying, the implications of what God is saying is very powerful because they didn't think they should even be in Babylon. They didn't think they should certainly intermingle with the Babylonians. They thought, in fact, that was prohibited. And God is saying, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to engage that culture. I want you to engage those people. I want you to represent me in that place where I have put you in exile. And then, 
He says in verse 7 and 8, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because here's what he says, If it prospers, you too will prosper. And they might have thought, God, these people, these people are our enemies. They don't even like us. They don't certainly like having us around. And the way they treat us is not particularly kind. We feel like outcasts here. Can't we just stay to ourselves? Can't we just mind our own business? Can't we just huddle? And God says, no, listen, I want you to seek the peace. I want you to seek the shalom of the city. I want you to seek the very best for those people in that city. I want you to seek their wholeness. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I'm going to do it out of the context of this circumstance that you don't like. I'm going to do it out of the context of a place where you don't want to be and a time you don't want to be there. He's saying, listen, I want you to represent me in the place where you feel like the outcasts. Sometimes in our culture. In a growing capacity, in a growing way. It's there are some times where as, as followers of Christ, we're starting to feel a little like the outcasts. Sometimes in our own families, we might feel like outcasts. Sometimes in certain situations and settings we're in, maybe we feel like outcasts. Or you might be thinking, you know, I'm longing for a different time in my life. I'm remembering back, you know, you might think I'm remembering back to a time of, uh, that was... It was, seemed more simple. And we live in an interesting time. I remember my wife and I were talking about this commercial that was in the early 70s when I was just a boy and, and it would show this commercial of this two people, it's like a toothpaste commercial or gum or something. And it, would, it was talking about how they'd have fresh breath and it would show them at the very end of this commercial, this, this man and this woman would almost kiss, but it wouldn't show them kissing. And I remember it was very intriguing to me as a young boy, oh, they almost kissed. But they didn't show a lot then. Now you go into prime time and you can look on television and you see one woman dating 25 people to try to find her spouse and she's essentially making out with all of them and they don't hesitate to show any of it. We're in a, we're in a different time, a time you know, where, where we don't really blush about that stuff anymore. The definition of family and marriage is all shifting and changing and sometimes you might be one of those who thinks, I'm longing for a different time, a, a previous time, a simpler time. You see the situation with Bruce Jenner and Caitlyn Jenner and how do you navigate what's going on there and, and, and how, do we, how do we deal with that situation? The church is being uh, seemingly pushed to the margins of society where once the, the church and, 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 and those who are followers of Christ were welcomed into a city because they thought it brought value to a city. Now it, it feels as though sometimes we're being pushed back out to the margins. And... and, uh, and and I would just say this, historically when the church has been in a place of privilege and at the center of a culture, it might feel nice, but that the church has not been particularly in those times particularly effective in our mission. So one of the things that happens is when we get pushed to the margins, we get back to the mission that God has called us to in the first place. And it's easy in times like this to just resign and say, oh, there's nothing really I can do, it's just the way it is, or it's easy to be angry about what's happening in our world and just angry. You see some angry posts on, in our Areopagus, on our Facebook. You see them. You just see that tone and you hear people say, oh, we're kicking God out of, of the United States of America. And I would just say this. Listen, we can't kick God out of the United States of America. God's bigger than that. 
And as long as God is residing in us as followers of Christ, God will never be kicked out of any place because He lives and dwells in us and He's commissioned us to represent Him wherever we are. It's easy to be apocalyptic. When, when pre-born baby parts being, are being sold for profit, we, we say things like, God, would you just come and we just end this? Would you just finish this? Would you just judge these people? And, and we get that sort of that tone. But listen, the scripture says, but God is patient, not wanting any to perish. It can make us long for better days gone by from the past or simpler times. I think about in our kids, twenty. my, my oldest is 26, lives in Massachusetts, my Next one, 24, lives in Las Vegas. My daughter lives with me. But there are times where we think, ah, man, we wish our kids were small again. If we could just go back to that. You know, and, and I get that. Sometimes we think that way on a cultural level, on a, on a whole societal level. But for God's purposes and His perfect knowledge, He's put us right here. He's put us right now. Because there are opportunities all around us to love people and to make a difference in their lives. We are the bringers of the good news. That's what he he wants us to be, the good news. And sometimes our tone is not a tone of good news. And we won't have a tone change until we have a heart change, until we say, God, I recognize you've put me right here right now for your purposes. Sometimes in our longing for a different time, we miss the opportunities of the day we're in. Don't miss them. Don't miss them. They're all around us. And sometimes it's hard to understand, God, why do you have us where you have us? God, why is this happening all around us? God, why am I in this circumstance I'm in? Why am I in this situation? Sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes we just need our heart to be healed. Sometimes we're in places of brokenness. I get that. And I pray that God would just heal and touch and restore the hope and the joy again. But here's the truth. We, we, though we don't understand sometimes, the truth is God can be trusted. And He loves you. And He has never left you. And He has not abandoned you. And He will never leave you. And He will never forsake you. And He has you right here. And He has you right now for His purposes. And for some of you, He may be calling you to a new level of engaging in His mission. Maybe, he's, maybe he's, he's challenging you to say, okay, I've, I've sort of resigned myself. I've sort of been angry. I've just sort of given up. I, I've just sort of just said, uh, just, I'm, just come already, God. Let's get this over with. Or maybe you just have sort of pulled yourself away from him. And he may be just calling you to re-engage, re-engage back in the purposes that he has for you at this time. You can make a difference. Here's a couple of opportunities for response because he has you right here, right now. Because he believes in you. He does. <laughs> he does. A couple opportunities for response. Here's the first one. You might, you might be one who says, listen, Pastor Chris, I've been disengaged because I've wanted to be somewhere else other than in the circumstance God has me in. Or maybe you've been angry. Maybe you've just sort of given up or wanted to give up. And, and, and maybe your response is this. God, would you help me find your purpose in my current situation? God, I'm willing now to listen for your purpose in my current situation. I want to find God's purpose in my current situation. 
Maybe that's your response today. Second one is this. Second possible response perhaps is, I know God is calling me to be on mission. This, um, this says, I, 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 I didn't like the way I worded it originally. It says, I know God is calling me to ministry, which maybe he is. But I, I would just say it this way. I know God is calling me to be on mission and I want to be obedient. Maybe you're in your neighborhood and you, you've sort of disengaged or in your work and you've just, you've just not been on the kind of mission. This is a church that it does a great job at mission activity. But maybe just on a personal level, you just... You just haven't. You, there, you know, there's a neighbor that God has been prompting you toward. You know, there's a coworker that God has been pulling you toward. You know, there's a school uh, student that, that God has been, you know, putting on your heart. And maybe it's time to engage and just to start loving them on purpose. Some things we can learn about Paul, the way he engaged his culture. I'll just finish with this: the way he engaged his culture. He he went to where they were. He was in their city. He was on their turf. He he. He, he went to where they were comfortable. He didn't say, oh, you have to come to where I am. He, he was willing to go where they were. Secondly, he listened and he watched and he sought to understand. He was paying attention to what was happening in their city. He was in their marketplace. You know, and he was listening and he, and he, and he read the things you know, to an unknown God. He, he saw what was going on in their culture and he understood. James tells us, be quick to hear uh, quick to listen and slow to become angry. And that's one thing as Christians we could really learn from and, and, and put into practice. Quick to hear, slow to become angry, slow to speak. And then he spoke in their language when, when Paul said, as your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our bring, as being, as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He used the language of their culture, of their Greek poets. It was not intended to speak of their God. He used the language of their culture to speak to them about the God that he served, the true one true God. So, so we, we learn and we listen and we speak to them in a way that they can understand. There's, there's a, something that my wife and I have done over the last, uh, for quite a while now, um, we have, dis- we, we have made a decision to just go to certain places, a couple of restaurants on purpose at the same time, almost virtually every week, and sit in the same section because we decided we just wanted to go there. We just wanted to get to know the workers and we just wanted to love them. We just wanted to care about them and, and, and not necessarily to, with a motive to get them to come to our church or anything, just to go and love them, just to love them, care about them, and just to be a blessing and just to represent Christ in a very genuine, uh, you know, normal way. And, and so, you know, it's, it's been a beautiful thing to see what has happened. The, the servers in one of these places have become our friends and, and uh, they've added us as their Facebook friends. If we don't show up, the, the one, one, our server messages on Facebook my wife and says, where are you guys? How come you're not here? Some of your friends are here. You should be here. And, and uh, one of the workers came over to us where we were sitting and sat with us for about 45 minutes and just, just shared you know, he, his marriage was going through struggles and pain and he just, he just empty, you know, and, and they didn't know originally that I was a pastor. We, we just were trying to love them and care about them. It makes a difference if you just care about people. And we go to another one and, and uh, last week it was our last Sunday, or Sunday, it was our last, uh, her last time that she would be serving us because she's moving on to a new restaurant. Just at the end of this, we just, we just like her and we care about her and we tip her well and we, we love her and we talk to her and we're kind to her. It's just, just simple things to represent Christ. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to bring the, you know, the four spiritual laws every time you gather with somebody. Just love them. And, and on, as, as we left, she gave us this note. She put it on the back of our bill and she just simply said, thank you both for being such loyal and gracious customers. I'm going to miss you too. And she just left us that note. It was so meaningful to us and her name is Heaven. 
and and you you all probably in your neighborhood or in, you know, around you um, in the places you frequent, there's probably a heaven that could probably just use love and care and somebody to treat her with the love of Jesus. So I would just challenge you, just bring a little heaven to heaven. <laughs> 